Yeah, it is. We've been here and I know I spoke to a few of the guys, but we've had a brilliant weekend. You know, we come out and we have the opportunity to minister. But the truth is, today, we feel like we've been ministered too. Another great time of worship tonight, this morning. It was a great time where God turned out. Because that's the truth of what we are as an organisation. We're just men. We're just men here. We just go around the guys who've had us in the house, they'll just tell you, we're just normal guys. I remember somebody turning around to me once and saying, Christians are boring. And uh, I've done some boring things in my life, but this is one of them. This has been probably the most exciting, dynamic, powerful way that I could ever have had a glimpse of or grasped hold of. Yes. Because it's right. took me places where I never thought I'd go before. It's introduced me to people who I never thought I'd meet before. And I tell you, all through my life, I wanted travel. Wanted travel. I wasn't as good as a footballer over there, but I had a few skills, you know. <laughs> Didn't get me anywhere but off Stoke. <laughs> <laughs> but there is actually a good football team in Stoke. It's called Four Wales. There's another one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, John was coming up. John at the back, he's saying John Travolta look like. If you can see when you turn around, here's a John Travolta look like. More of a John Prescott. <laughs> <laughs> Take two more, he'll show you his actions, like he actually fights like John Prescott at all. But you know, we put the things out this morning on your seats, the sponsor student scheme, and we've put them out again tonight. We just asked, because the government have withdrawn around about £2 million worth of funding a year from the Ministry of Teen Challenge because of his Christian principles. The Welsh Assembly removed the supporting people's grant from us because. They came out and they interviewed us and they interviewed every one of our guys who'd gone through the programme and he sent us a letter saying these guys are role models in society. We're amazed by the work that they were doing. And on the same letter, they said, but we're, unfortunately we're inapt to withdraw your funding because for the Kamalinshire area you are strategically irrelevant because we took guys from all over the UK. It's never strategically irrelevant until it was somebody in your own family. Yeah. And this is a national problem. In fact, it's not a national problem, it's a global problem. And Teen Challenge is in 93 countries worldwide. It started off in 1958 with uh, David Wilkerson. Uh, if I said to you, who's Michael Farmer, you wouldn't have a clue. And Michael Farmer was a guy who uh, he had polio. And uh, in 1958, he was uh, a carrier. He used to carry uh, the weapons for the gangs in New York and one day they found out uh, from a rival gang found out that he was killed and they killed Michael Farmer. They killed him. And uh, <coughs> it was a big court case, it's like the OJ Simpson case of its day, it was massive, this polio victim had been killed by these gang members, it was all over the news and that was the article that David Wils uh, Wilkinson read and that was what inspired him go to uh, this courtroom and to uh, eventually establish the work of Teen Challenge. Now one thing amazes me about that story, it's this. 
If you had read and said to Michael, Palmer's, Palmer's mother at that time, that there's a God, and we don't understand the detail, but he's got a plan and a purpose, and he sees beyond time. He sees, he stands out to time. And if you had turned around and said, I can't understand your grief, I can't come with you, but we've just got to trust that God is in this, and that God's got a plan in this. And as we see that over 50 years from the death of that young man as he was murdered, we see the hand of God guiding David Wilkinson to the courtroom, establishing a centre which would see tens of thousands of both men and women find freedom, purpose and destiny in Jesus Christ. And tonight as a team, we're just 11 of them. We're just 11 of them. And this is what we say. This is the message of Teen Challenge. This is the gospel. In John 5, 24, if you want to in there, if you haven't read the Bible, it's okay because I will read it. But John 5, 24, it says this. I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who has sent me has eternal life. And he will not be condemned and he has crossed over from death to life. Now this is what I want to speak on tonight. It's the message what I always call, it's the neglect of the off gospel. It's something what we've kind of moulded into and we've kind of neglected it as a church and we've neglected the word life. Now we turn around and we say this, we say, if any man be in Christ Jesus, he is a new creation. Have you ever sat down and thought to yourself, what is it to be a new creation? What does that mean? I talked to a lot of the guys in the programme and a lot of them know what the Bible said, but they don't have a question, what does it actually mean? And we think of the verse, a new creation, what does it mean? So straight away, I, my brain now works, it's a bit weird. I had numerous years in psychiatric units and I was around numerously strange people. So my brain now works sometimes, just goes off. So if I not get lost, you'll just have to keep up with me. You'll just have to keep up with me. But I always think about that, what does it mean to be a new creation? What is that? Does that mean that I am completely different than I was before? And if it does, what is it that makes me completely different than I was before? What, do, what is that? You ever asked yourself the question? And if Jesus says that he came to give us life, what is that life? Is it a type of life? Is it to join a social club? Do this, do that, go church on a Sunday twice, do this, do that, don't do that, don't drink, don't swear, don't buy your hair, get it off on cigarettes. Sandra D, please. <laughs> don't want to mind now, don't want to mind now. But what I'm saying is, this is what we kind of fell into, all this thing, of what is it to be a new creation? And I was thinking of the verse, and it's in the Amplified Bible, so you'll just have to bear with me here. I'll read it. And this is what I think it's God giving us a reveal of what it is to be a new creation. And Paul says this to the Philippians, he says, For my determined purpose is that I may know him, that I may progressively become more deeply and intimately acquainted with him, perceiving and recognising and understanding 
the wonders of his person more strongly and clearly, that I may, in that same way, come to know the power outflowing from his resurrection, which exerts over believers, that I may also so share in his suffering as to be continually transformed in spirit to his likeness, to death in his the hope, that, if possible, I may attain the spiritual and moral resurrection that lifts me among the dead, even whilst in the body. If you see there, in the words it talks about, it talks about a spiritual resurrection and a moral resurrection. Because the message of the gospel is about God who came down from heaven to die on the cross that we could be made clean and be forgiven. But that was the means to something. It wasn't an end in itself. It wasn't an end in itself. It was the means to something. Because he died on a cross and he rose again. Why would he rise again? That we could take part in his resurrection. That we would receive the very thing that Adam lost in the beginning. And that was the spirit of God. God breathed into Adam. The breath of God. The breath of life. He breathed into him. That he became a living being. He didn't breathe into all the other animals. And they were alive. So what was it that made Adam a man? It was that he contained the presence of God. That God, through his relationship with Adam, it would impact the way that he thought through the Holy Spirit, which would in turn impact the way that he behaved. But he died spiritually, didn't die physically, he lived to 993. So when he died, how did he die? It was that the very thing that made him a human being, how God had created him to be a human being, was that the Spirit of God had been released from him. And as we see that death began to reign, from that moment in time, death began to reign. There's a verse in Scripture in Genesis, and it turns around and it says, Adam and Eve gave birth to a son, and his name was Shem, and he was created in their own minds. Not God's, theirs. Spiritually dead. Absence of the life of God. And as we see that men and women from that point, they've been born into spiritual death. And death has begun to reign over humanity. It's death. Death. It would be death that would cause abortions, divorces, addiction, idolatry, wars, famines. It was the death of man. If there was an emptiness of sin, it would be death that would stir the prophet Isaiah's heart and turn around and say, God, that you would rend the heavens and come down amongst us. It was death. It was death, and you see people all over the land searching, crying out because they're looking around and they think, there's got to be more to life than this. There's something missing in my life, and I don't understand what it is. Is it a car? Is it a woman? Is it a new pair of shoes? Is it a new job? And they get there and they say in this heart, there's just something missing. I want to tell you folks the reason why a lot of people think there's something missing is because there's something missing. It's because that God created you that you would be the you would be the vessel of him. He's very present, he's very alive. That he would do something. But until life could be given, 
sins needed to be forgiven. I was sitting down and I always used the illustration of making jam. Has anybody ever made jam? Neither have I. But it's a good illustration. <laughs> but if we think of the process of making jam, there's certain things that need to take place. If, I, if you were to pass me a jar, the first thing I would need to do with that jar before I could fill it full of jam was to sterilise it. Would be to sterilise it. Because if I was to put jam in a jar that was dirty, it would be contaminated. And as we see the death of Jesus Christ on a cross, it is the perfect purification for us as vessels to be made clean. Here comes the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. He takes them away, purifies them, he makes you clean. He makes you clean. But he doesn't, that you could just be a forgiven, dirty person. It's a means to something that's the same way that jam is put into the pot. <clears throat> because God didn't just purify you by Jesus dying on a cross. He purified you that you could be filled yeah. with something. And it's not jam. It's the Holy Spirit of God, because yes. when God comes with inside of you, you will no longer be known from the context, by the, the packet, but you'll be known for the context. When was the last time we sat on a table and you said, pass me that jar, what's full of jam? You say, pass me the jam. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. And that's why we as believers now, God has filled us with his presence after he purified us by his blood, after he has filled us with his spirit, after he has sealed us. It's another part of Jeremy. Seals us. And we would say, that's why you've called the saint. Not down to your performance, but down to what he's done for you. Amen. It's all determined purposes that we know him. And as we see these guys, and in my own life, I come from a decent family. My mum and dad both did well in business. I had everything as regards to materialistic I could ever want. I ever wanted. But you know, I just went off and complete mad one, doing what I wanted to do, because I knew there was something missing in life, and I wanted to make something of myself, and I just went all crazy, and by the time I left school, I was addicted to heroin. I was addicted to heroin, living on the streets of Socon Trent, in and out of prison, and by the time I reached the age of 21, I got admitted into my first psychiatric unit. Because I can remember thinking to myself, but this is what life's got off, and you can keep it, I don't want it. I'm fed up of getting up every single morning in the bar in which I was living to turn around and say, what am I going to do with myself today? I know I'll go steal off the people who care for me the most, that I can get some drugs that I wouldn't feel like that I would feel normal, that hopefully I'll have enough drugs in my system for getting me asleep tonight and I can get up and do exactly the same the next day. Woohoo, what a life. <laughs> Not a chance. I didn't want it. I wanted out, so I continued to try and commit suicide, which resulted in me being put in a psychiatric unit. They referred me to a drug rehabilitation program. I went there, I completed it. <coughs> I became more educated. Told me a little bit more about myself. Relapse prevention, anger management. This is what you need. But I tell you something, I'd come out of that place and I'd empty as a port now. I was empty as anything. The very thing that I found for any kind of satisfaction in my life, what gave me any sense of purpose was heroin. And all of a sudden, they take it away from me. I had no direction. I didn't know what I wanted to do. didn't know who I wanted to be. And I knew all the consequences. 
and he knew exactly where the addiction had taken me. But I would still go there. I'd still go there. And I remember sitting down in another rehab and thinking to myself, it's a girlfriend, and that's what I did, tell down, get myself a decent girl. We settled down, got myself a girlfriend, settled down in a flat in 2002, woke up in the morning, couldn't see around the flat, we parked the car on the uh, pub car park, went down there, the interior light was on, it's about 6 o'clock in the morning, pulled her out to dead with an earbag down to her own. Jesus. And you see, at the moment of despair, I just walked away because my life is just like, I just thought, it isn't that. I walked away and my life just went completely out of control. I found myself in a psychiatric unit in Tamworth and I couldn't stop crying because I just kept thinking to myself, if you'd ever asked me what I want to be with, I would never have said that I wanted to be an animal sitting there. It was on antidepressants, antipsychotics. His friends and family didn't want anything to do with him. And the only clothes I had were the clothes that were standing up. <coughs> I never intended my life to do my life. I come from a decent home. Things like this didn't happen to people like me. And I couldn't stop crying. And I just remember saying, God, you need to get me out of here. I wanted to take the life. I mean, physically take me life. And I see that under God, how we orchestrated events. He moved me from an hospital in Townwave to one in Burton on Trent. I met a Baptist Christian there, who the pastor had been up to him a couple of days before, invited him to church. And I went there, and there was a girl who completed the Teen Challenge program. She said, Oh, David, you need to come to Teen Challenge. I uh, got discharged from the hospital. I don't know where I live, ended up living with Kathleen Creek <coughs> for probably about three months. Stole off him, stole everything off, everything off him. I found his numbers through his credit cards, rinsed them, and I, I did. And I remember him finding out that he turned around. And sometimes we'll get caught up in all the But he turned around and he said one of the most profound things that anybody, and it'll stay with me for the rest of my life. He says, David, you stole from me. I says, I'll go get him. That's Father Brian going. And he says, no. And I goes, but I stole from you. And he turned around and he said this. He says, David, your life is more important than my money. Well, praise you. Thank you, Jesus. Powerful. And you know, he drove me up to Team Challenge. That was in August 2003. Yeah. Had a long program. <laughs> <laughs> but I went there. I remember going into the program and I was struggling. I kind of got the basics of Christian faith and I was struggling. I was trying to get to every prayer meeting. I was trying to read every, all the Bible take me to and I was struggling like mad. And I remember once looking out at an apple tree in the garden. And I looked out and do you know you're a Christian and my heart was breaking. I don't know what it was. I don't remember looking at the mirror and saying, David, what's up with you? What's up with you? You know all these things. What's up with you? And I looked at this apple tree and now it was breaking. And I thought to myself, that apple tree doesn't try and produce <coughs> apples. It produces apples because that's what apple trees do. Yeah. That's what apple trees do. Yeah. It's natural. Yeah. And for the first time in my life, I realized that my Christian walk, it wasn't natural. It was a cheap caricature of the real thing. 
And when I sat down, I said, God, you need to reveal it to me. I don't know what it is. I started seeing the way of life in the scriptures. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus says, I am the way, the resurrection, and the life. And when I say it was the neglect of the half gospel, because I thought my salvation was based on me giving my life to God and just being forgiven, nobody had ever sat down with me and turned around to me and said, David, it's not just about you giving your life to God, it's about you allowing God to give his life to you, that you could be the man God created you to be in the beginning of time. That's the message of the gospel. That's what the gift is. It's receiving his life. If you feel empty, if you feel incomplete, it's because he's got a gift for you and it's amazing and it's his life. That he will change it, that he will impact it. In the verse of scripture in Philippians, it turns around and it says this. It says that there's a moral resurrection. There's a moral resurrection because when the Spirit of God comes and lives inside of a man, a woman, a boy and a girl, something will happen in their life and they've got no control over it and it's going to cause you to change. That's what it says in Ezekiel. It says, I will put my Spirit inside you and I will cause you. It doesn't say I'll show you. It says, I'll cause you to keep my commandments because something great's going to happen in your life. And we hear the illustration of the caterpillar and the butterfly. It's like the cat, God says to the caterpillar, he says, listen, you're ugly at the moment. None of the girls like you. You're a bit of a grub. Some people would even call you a worm. You used to crawl around in the mud. I'm going to change you into something much beautiful. I'm going to change you into something much beautiful. And, but you need to take this decision seriously. Because I'm going to make you into a butterfly, and you're never going to be able to be that a caterpillar again. So through the process of metamorphosis, turned round, turned into this beautiful thing, one of the most beautiful creatures, insect on the planet. And that's what God did to us at that moment of salvation when we became a new creation. It turned us into something which was beautiful. Yeah. Amen. And sometimes I still act like a caterpillar. I still act like a word. I forget who I am. I forget who I am. And I know those times where I'm getting through the mud and things are just getting all wrong and blind. And I feel like God's miles away. And I always think it's like God holding a mirror up to me. And he says, David, look up. And I look up and I say, God, he says, what do you see? And he says, I see, I see a butterfly, God. And he says, well, what are you acting like a word for? as we begin to establish our life in Christ and our identity in Him of what He says who we are, not based on our feelings. The feelings the feelings can't tell the difference between fact and fiction, that's the truth and they don't know the difference between past, present and future but so many times we rely on them making decisions in His life and as we begin to understand that our identity in God we see the promise of God being fulfilled as his life penetrates our mind by the power of the Holy Spirit guiding us into truth. Yes. Which will not only affect the way that we think, which will inevitably bring around a change in behavior. We're fascinated by people's behaviors and we That's what we've become like. But you know, 
so many times, and I remember being in the church and crew, I was speaking, and no bloke come to me at the end, and he says, hey, he says, I never understood about God giving us his life. I never, I never said I've trying. And I says, let me pray with you. And I prayed with him, and I'm not kidding you. As honest as I stand here, in front of me, I'm fat guy, seemed like he lost 10 years of me. Do you just see the lightness of his face? When I just turned around to him, I said, let's just pray that God will come into your life. The last bit of the scripture in the Philippians, it turns out and it says this. It says that you will be raised from the dead whilst you are in the body. You will be raised from the dead while you are still in the body. Now if we think that we were spiritually dead, now we are being made spiritually alive, that people who aren't Christians are still spiritually dead. But God's saying that when his life comes inside of us, he will lift us amongst these people whilst we're still in the body, that there will be something completely different about us that will just, you wouldn't be able to put your finger on it, but you'd just say, what is it what's different about him? I can't put my finger on it, but what is it what's different about him? And we see Jesus when he goes back into his own town. Jesus goes back into his own town and he turns around and he starts saying, and people are starting to ask all questions. Isn't he here? Jesus, Joseph's carpenter, isn't he? Looking at him a bit strange, isn't he? Who is he? He says they were amazed and astonished by his teachings. And a lot of people would think to him, why was he amazed and astonished? And he'd say, well, it's because they couldn't believe he was God. But if you think about it, that's not necessarily true. It was that they, not that they couldn't believe he was God. It was that they couldn't believe he was a man. Because for the first time in their life, they had seen a man act, function, talk, behave in a way that God had created a man to act, function, talk, and behave at the beginning of the time. They had seen that... The, God being made flesh, that's what he talks about in Colossians, don't it? It says he's the invisible God who's been made into flesh, that we can see him with our eyes, that we can see him in his behavior. If anybody would say, what does God look like? That's why Jesus says, if you see me, you see the Father. Because not by the color of his hair or the color of his eyes, by the shoes on his feet, but because the very characteristics that Jesus displayed in his life were the very characteristics of God. And when God comes and invades your life, that you're not just confessors of Christ, but you're a possessor of Christ, that you behave and act in such a way that lifts you amongst the dead whilst you're still in the body. That you become somebody who's completely different, that you become a new creation. Yes. Is that the gospel? Is that not exciting? Why don't you share that with everybody? You're dead, you were dead, you were destitute, you were living in sin, you were destined to hell. But there's a God in heaven who sent his only begotten son that you could be purified, that you could be made clean. That not only would you finish there, it would come and it would fill you with his spirit. That you could be something that was completely different, a new creation. Something where you couldn't even imagine. Take places where you've never even been. Speak to people who you've never even met. The message of the gospel. And that is the message of teaching. 
Yes. We don't get anybody off drugs that we could go round to do and take them. My name's David, I'm an alcoholic. I've been dying out for 10 years. <laughs> My name's Ray Sunday, and I'm Yeah, I've had a bad week this week. Frustrates a life out of me, I always say to the guys, so what? Yeah, I'm an alcoholic. Well, what's the most natural thing for alcoholics to Drink. You keep getting out telling everybody you're an alcoholic, guess what? You drink. Because that's what alcoholics do. You drink. But when you realise that you're a new creation, that your old identity, what was based in death and Adam, and sin, has been transformed to a new identity in Christ, no longer there's your position in Christ, but now Christ is in you, performing, acting by the power of the Holy Spirit, revealing truth to your mind, which inevitably changed the way that you behave. It's amazing. It's an amazing message. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. Jesus is amazing. Yeah. Yeah. He's the best guy I've ever met. Yeah. Yeah. I always say sin, it's a killer. That's what it says. The way he's a sin is death, it's a killer. Yeah. Let's stop talking about sins and let's start talking about death. Because that's what the way it is. Yeah. And the only person who's got the antidote to death is Jesus. Yeah. Because he's the possessor of life. Now you may be in a situation where you're feeling destitute and death, but I want to tell you there's a God. There's a man, there's a God man named Jesus Christ, and he says, I'm the possessor of life. And in your death situation, I can bring around a resurrection. And in the same way that God breathed the ruach, the breath of God, the spirits of God into Adam, he wants to breathe into you. He wants to breathe into you, into your situation. And, you know, I don't know any of your stories. I don't know what your life's been like. I don't know what you've been here through this week. But I know that all the times, last birthday, a lot of times I've been married and valleys, and then my experiences. And in closing, in 2 Corinthians, the Apostle Paul says this. He says, Brethren, we don't want you to be unaware of the troubles that came against us in Asia Minor. Now, you could begin through life, and you could be thinking that everything's going fine, but just troubles have come against you. They've just come against you. Everything was going well. He goes on and he says, There were troubles beyond what we could bear. Sometimes God will give you more than you can bear. He will. He says that we even despair even life itself. And I've been in that place numerous times where I've despaired even life itself, even as a Christian. I just looked at them one or two more. What's out? And then he turns around and he says this, that, we would, put, that we, would, we would not rely on ourselves, but in God who raises Tonight, you've heard the stories, you've heard the testimonies, the songs. I'm just getting your insights in the presence of God in here tonight. And I know there's people in here who just feels like there's something missing in the life. And you keep thinking, I'll do this Christian life. I'll do it. Even if he kills me, I'll do it. He will kill you. The Christian life isn't so hard. It's impossible. It's an impossible life. 
There's only one person who can live the Christian life, and that's Jesus. And that's why he gave his life for you, that he could give his life to you, that he could live his life through you. That you could be a vessel of his grace, demonstrating his glory. That's why it says Christ in you, the hope of glory. And as Phil just begins to play on the piano, I just want us to just close his eyes and just just go into that place of worship. But you just ask him the Holy Spirit to reveal truth to you. It says, don't it? It says the truth sets you free. And if the truth sets you free, that must mean life put you in bondage. And I just, well, everybody's got their eyes closed, you know. I don't want to embarrass anybody. But you know when you've got your eyes closed. First of all, I'd say if you've never received the life of Christ, if you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, I just want you to just raise your hand up quick now and just put it back down. If that's you, you you feel your salvation is just based on you giving your life to God but you never asked him for his life if that's you I just ask you to put your hand up maybe you're here tonight and you feel empty you just want to know the of God's spirit you just want to experience something of the joy of when you first got saved and if that's you tonight Phil's going to lead us in a song and this will save you in worship. I just want to let you have the opportunity again, some of the guys from the team to pray for you. Get prayed, just pray God's blessing in your life. Trust that God will do something completely different that you may become more intimately and acquainted with him. That you might know him and the power outflowing from his resurrection. It's not about rules and regulations, it's about them. It's about him and him changing us from day by day, transforming us from glory to glory. Let's stand. Hallelujah.